Well, I have to make a confession. I have a scar under my chin, too. But mine happened when I was just a wee lad. My brother and I were in the bathtub. He was the bridge and I was the truck. And my shoulder hit his foot and he sat right down on my head and split my chin open. And the water turned red. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, of all the titles we've called you this morning, of all the descriptions we've made of you, we also declare that you are good. You're so good, God, and we just bless you today for how good you are to us, how you protect us, how you love us, how you keep us, Father, for your glory. So, Lord, we just pray that your goodness would be shown in the fact that you Continue to, to be with us this morning. Lord, did you open our eyes to the truth of Psalm 91. And we just thank you, Father, for that song in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, Greg talked out of Psalm 90. Uh, the, the main point was to consider our days, to number our days, and that we might um, use them wisely. Um, we kind of looked at the transients of our lives uh, here today and gone tomorrow. Um, some other parts in the scripture talk about it being just a vapor. And it is just a vapor in light of um, the eternal God who looks down and sees us. We are just a vapor, but not a vapor unnoticed. unnoticed. He has his eyes upon us each and every second of our lives. Um, that particular psalm starts out, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And so Psalm 91, to me, in a sense, uh, begins to talk about the importance of that dwelling place. And that's what we're going to look at um, today. So let's, let's read it together. I'm going to be reading out of New American Standard Bible. Um, so if you have found your place, if you don't have one with you, there are a couple of sheets left, I guess. I had a, a few printed. Um, psalm 91, starting in verse 1. This is a psalm that most of us are very familiar with. Uh, most of us know a lot of it. Most of us have probably memorized certain parts of it, but... It's good to remember and review things again and remind us yet again of things. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid at the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, or of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, 
or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you, O Lord, are my refuge. You have made the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you. To guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands. The young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him, and let him see my salvation. As I said before, it's a favorite psalm through the ages. One full of promises. One that is held close. Parts of it are memorized. Parts of it are recited. Um, especially in times of uncertainty. Especially in times of plague and war. Uh, one example that I came across from uh, World War II uh, was uh, concerning an engineering unit that... Uh, was fighting in Germany in 1943 through 1945. The, their chaplain encouraged them to carry this psalm with them at all times and to refer to it. And so they did. And um, during the two years in over 20 intense battles, not a single one of the people of their unit experienced death or was killed. Um, I've been watching a band of brothers lately and <laughs> there were a lot of people killed over there. A lot of people killed, but not in this engineering unit. So um, they held on to this psalm. You know, their confidence was God and their refu refuge was him. I read a story about um, Spurgeon where he was saying when he was a young, young minister, uh, as, a, as a, a young minister, during the plagues of England, uh, he was called upon to go from house to house and pray with people and to, and to uh, preside over a lot of deaths and funerals in that time. But he never, he never was affected by the plague. Uh, he held on to this psalm as well. Um, you know, the, the, the psalms are so um, overarching. Um, you know, I, I've learned as a, a husband, you shouldn't use the words never and always, but sometimes they slip out anyway. <laughs> but God doesn't have a problem with that. He doesn't have a problem with declaring those kind of things. Always and never. Um, but you know, if you read the first part of this psalm, it's challenging. It's challenging to read these statements that none of this stuff is going to happen. You're just going to stand to the side and watch it happen to other people. So, um, you know, when you take these sentences out and let them stand by themselves, 
it's very difficult to believe those things. We can believe it's sitting here right now. I believe that. But you get out there in the world and you watch things happen to friends, loved ones, family, uh, other believers, and you're scratching your head saying, I don't see how you can declare this. But it has been declared. And so we we need to kind of be able to reconcile this uh, with the whole counsel of Scripture. Even some of the verses in in Psalm 90 that Greg read last Sunday uh, kind of contradict this. Um, You can go back just a few Psalms back to Psalm 88 and, and look at that particular Psalm, which is almost the opposite of this particular Psalm. I'm going to read just the beginning parts of Psalm 88 to you. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer and listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles. And death draws near. I am as good as dead. Like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead. And I like... And I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down with wave after wave you have engulfed me. And it goes on and ends like this. Darkness is my closest friend. Now, that's a big difference from what we just read in Psalm 91. So, we want to look at Psalm 91 uh, in a close way so it can help us if we find ourselves in places like Psalm 88. So, we're going to kind of go through this psalm and see how do these promises work in, in, in today's life, in our world? How have they worked through the ages I will rescue you. I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you. I will honor you. I will give you long life. So let's let's just take it piece by piece and walk through this. And my my commentary is generally short and pointed. Uh, generally, there's sentences that you can take if the Lord kind of does something with that sentence and. That's your place to launch out and meditate on that particular truth. So, beginning with it, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You know, I first read this, just I was trying to figure out what to speak on, uh, you know, after Greg spoke and finally decided, well, I'll just continue on in the next psalm. And as I began to read it, it just parts of it just became really confusing. Um, Because there are a lot of pronoun changes, there are a lot of verb tense changes, and there's quotation marks in there for this and for that. And so I just began to, to look at some of the commentators to see, glean a little bit about what are they saying about this thing? Because it's interesting in the way that it's written and one of them that really helped me a lot was one guy said a couple of guys said it really is like there are three people that are either singing the song or responding in the song 
And so it really helped me uh, try to work through some of the pronoun and verb tense changes and, and quotation marks. And so um, we find one of those transitions right here in the, these first two verses. So um, there are basically three people. Uh, at least that's the way I began to read it and study it. Three people involved. There is a priest. There is a prayer or a responder. And then there is uh, the Lord. So we have those three people that are singing or responding in this particular song. Um, and so what we have in verse 1 is a priest who makes a declaration. In verse 2 uh, is someone that responds to it. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's verse 2 and verse 9a, in my opinion, are the responses to declarations of the priest. And then the, the last three verses, 14, 15, and 16, the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks in the last ones. And then anything else except for 2 and 9a uh, are, are, are the priest making his declarations about God and what God, who God is and what he will do. So with that in mind, um, let's go ahead and look at this. Your, your translation may not break it out like that, and I'm sorry if it doesn't because it's the best way to understand the song. So the first thing to notice in verses 1 and 2 is there, there's four titles for God in the first two verses. He is uh, the Most High. He is the Almighty. He is the Lord. And He is God. So if we look at that, just the simple explanation for those things is, as the Most High, it means that God is more important than anyone else. Simple enough. As the Almighty, it means that God is more powerful than anyone else. And as Lord, it means he'll never die. Good person to have on your side. And God means this. He's the one that decides what happens. So here we have those four titles of God that surface. And then it's a wonderful response. My refuge and my fortress and my stronghold. I will trust in him. I appreciate one of the, well, I appreciate all the songs, Bill, but particularly the one that not what my hands. We just sang this, um, three songs back. These guilty hands are raised, filthy racks Rags are all I bring, and I have come to hide beneath your wings. We'll run into that a little bit later. So, to dwell means to live, or better explains to abide. Um, when, when Greg gets back to Jude after he's finished Psalm 150, Jude 21 says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And that really means keep yourselves in the shadow of His wings. 
keep yourselves in the shadow of the Almighty. So there is this secret place. The secret place. What is a secret place? What do you think that would mean if you were thinking about the tabernacle? Where's the most secret place? The Holy of Holies. There's a secret place. The presence of God. Um, that's where we want to be near. Is to be very aware of His presence and of His working. And that takes practice. Right, Pat? It takes practice. Let's go on to the next section. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Which, if you don't know what a bulwark is, it's, a, it's like a defensive wall. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your right side, at your side and ten thousand at your right side, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You know, there are earlier translations that that don't say, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. It says, he delivers you from what? The snare of the, some of you old people, Fowler. I know who's old now, so from the snare of the fowler. You know, I, I thought about that because a fowler traps birds, right? Little birds, what they're after. And so, little birds that are caught and entrapped by the enemy is what it refers to here. And there are all sorts of circumstances around that are evil, of evil design, we pray that we won't be led into temptation. We pray that that God would deliver us from the evil that's around us. But the main thing for, for me when I read and reflect on that is that God would then later on in that same thing use what to characterize himself? What does it say later on in the same section? So we're little birds that can be trapped by the enemy. And then he says what about himself? Cover you with... He's the big bird. I mean, that he would identify himself. Pinions. Wings. I, I just see in that, you know, we're... We're image bearers. He's made us in his likeness. And yet, you know, there's a place where Jesus says in the New Testament, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to call them brothers. And God is just reminding us that, you know, we are made in his image. We are like him. It's just to me how gracious he is and has been to us. There's a New Testament picture um, that really displays his heart, even though it's 
it's a it's a challenging verse in Matthew twenty three thirty seven. Jesus is grieving over um, Jerusalem, and this is what it says: "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her? How often, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks." under her wings. That's God's heart for His people. That's what He desires for us. And you were unwilling. And you were unwilling. He really desires to draw us near, both to protect us and to care for us. The priest goes on to declare that those who dwell within his shelter will not be afraid of all types of perils. Wow, what a declaration. Has anybody here been afraid this week? I've been afraid of little things. Since I won't be afraid of these big things, well, what, what happens if you're afraid of little things? The priest is like, he's kind of like blue skying it here, isn't he? I mean, won't be afraid. It's a bold statement. There are perils. And here it shows that there are perils that come at night. They're described in two separate verses as, as terrors and pestilence. They're the ones that come unexpectedly. They're at night. You can't see them. There are other perils that come during the day. They're described as arrows and destruction. Yet we're not to be afraid because we live in the shadow of the Almighty. We live in the shadow of the one that's more important than anybody else. We live in the shadow of the one more powerful than anyone else. We live in the shadow of the one that I think we also sang this, was and is and is forevermore, that lives forever. And we live in the shadow of the one who decides what will happen. Thank goodness. He decides what's happened. Sometimes it's really hard to remember that in the midst of those kind of places. But that's God. He's the one that decides what will happen. And none of these things will approach you. Well... Is that kind of sort of true? What if it does? What if it does happen? And sometimes it does happen. But we should live with this kind of hope. This kind of declaration is our declaration. We live with that kind of hope and expectation. But when you look at the whole counsel of God, things happen. Things happen. I mean, we know people that have passed away, believers, that have passed away from COVID. Yes? Of course we do. I'm going to read a quote by Spurgeon that's a real, it's a real paradigm shift. So bear with me. Uh, you can think about this later and decide if you agree with it or if you need to 
try to move our minds to think like this. It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to stop there, okay? (laughs) The most crushing calamity can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. That's a new way of looking at it, isn't it? Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious way. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the world can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Psalm 73:28 says this, But as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. I have made the Lord God my refuge so that I may tell so that I may tell of all your works. And so there is this response. For you, O Lord, are my refuge. After all this promise and and declaration, the prayer, our responder says, For you, O Lord, are my refuge. And refuge is a safe place, a sheltered place from danger, trouble, and pursuit. Forty-five times refuge is used in the Psalms. It's 101 times refuge is in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to read all those, but I will read the one time it's in the New Testament. The one time it's in the New Testament. Only one time. This is all New American Standard. So, Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. In the same way, God desiring even more to demonstrate to the heirs of the promise, that's, the, that's us believers, the fact that his purpose is unchangeable, confirmed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for him to lie, and the fact that he, that he, had, that he said an oath, that's two things. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to swear an oath if he never lies. But those are the two unchangeable things. Okay. We who have taken, what do you think we've taken? What are we talking about? Refuge. We who have taken refuge would have a strong encouragement to hold firmly to the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and reliable and one which enters the veil. For you, O Lord, are my refuge. Can we say that together? For you, O Lord, are my refuge. It's a good thing to remember in times of trial. 
The psalm goes on, it says, For you have made the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. For he will give you angels, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. To guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands. They do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. This basically is really a restatement of verses 3 through 8. Um, to me, one of the familiar parts is um, verse 11, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. This is a verse that Satan used with Jesus in the wilderness temptation, if you remember. Takes him up on a high, a high building and, and says, just jump, just jump off. You know, the scripture says for, he will, he will give his angels charge over you. Jesus comes back with a different scripture, right? But anyway, this this is a real example of scripture being used in a wrong way. Uh, it's been it's being used to deceive rather to, than to educate and encourage. And so, another reason why we begin need to begin to understand the whole Bible because the enemy can whisper things in our ears to deceive us or to discourage us. And we need to be able to, to have a, a response to that deception and lie. A scripture that's a lie in that case. So we get to this place, and now there's a person change. Now the Lord speaks. After, after, after the singing and the declaration and the responding of the person, God speaks. This would be a good part, really, to memorize. This is one of those parts that um, you shouldn't be afraid to pray back to God. In your in your prayers and in, in needful places in prayer, um, God, Lord, this is what you said. I need this. I need the, I need you to show me this in my life right now. Because he has loved me, capital M, E, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him. And let him see my salvation. I just found this really kind of interesting. You've got this priest that declares these things about God. And then God turns around and says, but I'll be with you in trouble. The other guy says, none of that's going to happen. And God's like a realist. Yeah. There are things in life that we all walk through and experience. So he gives an assurance here that though the promises have been declared, he realizes 
that we live in a fallen world. And he's just reassuring us here that he will deliver us in this. Uh, one of the things I particularly like, uh, and again, you probably wouldn't have picked this up unless you have New American Standard and you're a little bit nerdy and read all the notes in the sidebar. I love the way the sidebar reads in this one. It's an alternate translation. Um, it kind of reflects back to Psalm 90, and then it's got this other thing that just really opens up, declare my salvation to me. It's, it says this, With length of days I will satisfy him and cause him to feast his eyes on my salvation. Don't you like that? I like that. And cause him to feast his eyes on my salvation. You know, it's almost like, I'm going to give you enough days, you know, unless it's right at the end of your life, you're, you know, you're a, you're a bedside convert. I'm going to give you enough days to really see what my salvation has done. Time. I'm going to give you time to think about it, to consider it, to see how big it is, how much abundance is is supplied by it, um, the feasting of your eyes. You know, we should sit around and think about the cross. We need to we need to meditate on what's been done, and believe what's been done. And so, for me, I just like this particular alternate translation because. We do need to feast our eyes on his salvation. We really do. Um, It just reminded me as I read this and thought about it, there's an old hymn that goes, Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth you have for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Isn't that what we all want to be? Is truly free, free from guilt, free from free from sin, free from the desire to be rebellious, but particularly free from guilt. How many of us still carry a little bit of that from things way past? Maybe we're just ashamed. Well, that is the past. And God has forgiven it from east to west and remembers it no more. But, you know, I think there's a little bit of the mercy of God that we do remember it. Um, It makes us think twice about going down that road again. But we don't need to be ashamed. We're forgiven. We don't need to feel guilty about it. And I like that. There's one, one psalm, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it says, he forgave the guilt of my sin. It's the only place I've found it in the Bible. And oh, how we need to we need to hold on to that. Um, you know, for those whose eyes He opens, open my eyes that I may see. For those that He opens, and for those that respond to the truth of His great salvation, that work through Jesus Christ, which was what. What did Jesus Christ do? He came from God. He lived a life we were supposed to live in perfect obedience. 
He took the punishment of our sins upon himself. He paid the penalty that was due us because of his death on the cross. And he was buried and he rose again. To those that believe that and that confess the truth and call him Lord. Salvation is not half salvation. I believe all that. And call him Lord. It's what the Bible says. And walk under that lordship, you know. He calls us not only to feast on that great salvation, but to be reconciled and at peace with God and secure in his protection and care. You know, I think these last three verses, I just feel like that's that will be our, our benediction. Uh, which a benediction is a good saying. Bene meaning good and diction meaning saying. Benediction. Very logical. And so this is what our benediction comes to be. I will be with you. I will be with you in trouble. In other words, the blessing of his presence. I will deliver you the blessing of his protection. I will honor you the blessing of his promotion. <coughs> You've been promoted. Sons and daughters. Bride. You're bride, the bride of Christ. I will honor you in that way. With long life I will satisfy you the blessing of prosperity and show you my salvation, the blessing of his preservation. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Preston. <clears throat> I'm glad you brought out about um, the part about Satan using this verse. Because it really made me stop and think about how I use verses. If if a if a if an Old Testament verse comes and says, "I will bear you up, so that your foot does not strike a stone," and you think of all the possible people that could possibly apply to, who is the most likely person that it applies to? I would think. 
to Jesus. It obviously applies to Jesus. He's done all things right and good. And then Satan uses this verse in front of Jesus to tempt him to throw himself down from the tied place and God's going to bear him up and God's going to fulfill this verse. <laughs> and of all the people that could apply to, the one that is most likely to apply to, he rejects that interpretation. And it, it, it challenged me, how do I read anything in the scripture when it's, it, the answer seems to jump out at me? And I think about this one. Because you read the rest of it and you think, a long life. Well, Jesus didn't have a long life on earth. Uh, and you think, well, Lord, <laughs> help me with this. This Psalm 91 is a difficult one. But you're, you're, you find yourself trusting God because he knows things that we do not know. And he sees all things that we don't see. But he calls us to trust him. And then all the promises that he gives about you know, I will answer. I will be with him troubled. I will rescue him and honor him. I will satisfy him. I will show him my salvation. <clears throat> I think yes and amen, Lord. <laughs> it's just interesting um, that that particular verse is what Satan used. And of course, we could say, well, he twisted it somehow. Because that's what Satan always does is twist God's word so that we don't get the truth of it. We hear what Satan wants us to hear about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're. Yeah. Julie reminds me all the time. We wear our seatbelts. We don't want to test God. Well, and I say, well, you know, if it's our day, then it's going to be our day, whether we got the seatbelt on or not. Yeah, but we don't test God. <laughs> And so you're right. I mean, what what looks to be one person is trusting God to maybe a more accurate thought is testing God. And uh, and certainly to throw yourself down from a high tower and expect God to deliver you is a test. You're testing God. So let us not fall into that trap of testing God for things when he calls us to trust him. Yeah. It's interesting that... Uh, the devil didn't go ahead and recite the whole part. You know, oh, the, all the blessings at the towards the well, end. Well, no, even that part of it says, and you will tread on serpents. <laughs> yeah, let's leave out the parts we don't want to talk about, right? Right. And in, in the full context, too, you said that those verses like testing and possibility well there's a there's a verse in the New Testament that says when you've done everything you can do stand well see that's not testing that's standing <laughs> that's standing in the midst of 
trials and circumstance and difficulties, you're still standing with all that you can do. Or, with everything you can, make peace with all people. That's not testing. That's making peace. And so, you know, we get God's guidance in all this, but we just got to be wise to what He's saying. What's He really saying through this? Well, Bill, in, in this particular psalm, where it says, My refuge, my fortress, my God, and whom I trust, was really linked to verse 14, because you could, the, the verses in between, as Francis has said, are like an elaboration. Mm-hmm. And so if you go directly from verse 2 to 14, you say, My God, and whom I trust, God's response is, Because he has loved me. So that trust that's being talked about right there is a form of love and so you've got a walk you know if you're misusing the trust you're not walking in love to god and so if you link those together going to that 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 level of trust i'll say god is my refuge and my fortress entailed within that is a is a level of love that i think people miss out on if they just If it's a a cold transaction, this, this, versus, Lord, I love you with all my heart, do what's right, and I'm trusting you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point for you. I think there's an interesting translation of the expression of Don't make any sign of trouble the thought that I don't love you or care for you. I had to hang on to that what you just said yesterday, but the early you said you said there was a pretty recently. Well, I rode home with that three hours from the street and she was driving and I was scared a lot. But I held on to that. <laughs> Look on page 59. We've already sung one song by Horatius Bonar this morning, so why don't I give you a second one? Upon a life I have not lived. This is why we have hope. We stake our eternity on a life that we didn't live, on a death we didn't die. 